This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Content Is Your Business. I'm Mark Rako. I produce this show and recently I had the pleasure of interviewing journalist and author Lisa Ling, who hosts and executive produces a show called This Is Life on CNN. It was an extraordinary conversation about the creation of content that can have a profound effect in capturing the nature of the changing American identity. I am very excited to share this episode of Mouth Media Network's podcast, American Enough with you, because we think it is a great commentary on the power and thought process in creating broadcast content. Thank you and enjoy this interview. This is Life with Lisa Ling is an investigative docuseries on CNN. Lisa, award-winning journalist and author, immerses herself in unusual, extraordinary, and sometimes dangerous communities across America. She says what she has learned over several seasons has profoundly changed her as a person, as a mother, and perhaps even as an American. I'm Mark Rako, co-founder and head of programming and content for Mouth Media Network, which produces American Enough. Coming up, you'll hear a very special interview with Lisa as she reveals how the stories the show covers have impacted her and her production team, what she's learned about America and the country's changing identity from the people, communities, and remarkable stories shared on the series. Lisa gives a glimpse into one of the stories from the upcoming season of This Is Life, which premieres Sunday, September 29th at 10 p.m. on CNN, and why it struck a nerve. And you'll learn about a big decision. It had to do with a militia that she had to make when Hillary Clinton didn't win the White House. Plus, what This Is Life has to do with Lisa Ling seeing herself as American enough. This is American Enough. Lisa, welcome to the show. So happy that you've joined us. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. All right. So this is life. It is a great opportunity to take a look at America. Uh, through your lens, but also looking at many different parts of American identity. I'm, I'm interested in both why this series came to be, but since we're a little further down that road, why is this series important to continue? So my my production team and I brought this idea to CNN uh, six years ago now. Yeah, I know. And it started out as solely an exploration of different American subcultures. And at the time, this was during the Obama administration, mm-hmm. and um, there, there, there wasn't as much breaking news as incessantly as there is today. And CNN was really exploring opportunities to do different kinds of programming in addition to news. Um, that's where Anthony Bourdain's show – was born. That's where Morgan Spurlock started. Uh, and then they brought me in. And 
it's really evolved over the six years that we have been in production. We still uh, cover subcultures, uh, but we also explore a lot of really hard-hitting issues that are relevant to Americans today. Uh, For example, this season, we have an episode about the pervasiveness of porn and the impact that it has on young kids' brains, because most of these kids these days have devices or have access to devices. We do an episode about benzodiazepines. So they're some of the most widely prescribed medications on the planet. Um, We're talking about Valium, Xanax, Adivan, Clonopin, um, but the the terrifying thing about them is they're very easily addictive, and many doctors don't know how to get people off of them if they do become addicted or go into withdrawal. We have an episode about women in the Marines, an episode about the bond between identical twins. Um, we do an episode about counterterrorism here in New York City, and uh, and an episode about women who kill. So we like really. <laughs> you know, explore so mm-hmm. many different worlds. And what I love about it, especially in this time when our culture is just mired in so much animosity and hatred and vitriol um, and, and, and partis- partisanship, that it's a show that really encourages understanding and thoughtfulness and discussion. Jeez, aren't we all just the same? Yeah. I mean, at the end way. of the day... We all want the same things. That's it. It's just that we've all grown up in different environments that has have shaped us into the people that we've become, shaped our values. But again, like at the end of the day, ultimately, we all want the same things. How was the decision made, the different topics that you mentioned, the different places that you go? How was the decision made both these are the things that we need to cover because any time that you choose a limited number of topics and say this is representative of where things are either within a subtopic or a subset, um, that means things are not mentioned. So picking those things is like killing off the rest of the children and I only get – you only keep these. Yeah. Why are those the winners? What went into that thinking process between you – editors and anyone else involved. And and I know there's also logistical decisions. It'd be great to cover this, but that means a whole nother trip with all of these expenses. And one more piece to that is, has that process changed over the time you've been doing the series? What has changed is, since we started, there are so many outlets out there who are that are producing documentary-style programs. Sure. Um, And so there are increasingly more people trying to vie for similar kinds of stories. And that that has made a a big impact on how we go about um, finding our stories. Uh, But for us, really, if something is really interesting and compelling to us, and and when when I say us, I mean my production team, um, if, if we feel that they're is a really important message that we want to convey. If it's a community that we believe has been misunderstood, those are those are some of the criteria for for us wanting to uh, pitch pitch mm-hmm. certain episodes. How does that change while you're in the middle of a story? So you're there, you're capturing interviews, you're 
it's you know the, the the team the production team is a living breathing thing literally everyone has their own lenses that they're experiencing through including your camera operators including producers including yourself how many how many people are on the road when you're doing a story we like have this? about 5 or 6 in the field okay. which is a pretty small team sure. to do what we do and it yeah. sure is yeah uh, and amazing um how uh how does that story morph as you experience it? Because you can only know so much before you know the rest of it. Well, we have the luxury because CNN gives us a lot of creative freedom to go out and really have these experiences. And I think like most people, we go into every experience with a preconceived idea, a set of ideas about what the experience is going to be like, what the people are going to be like, what even the food is going to taste like when we're out on a shoot. And what we realize when we hit the ground and we really start to engage with people, really spend time talking to people, we always, during every experience, emerge thinking a little bit differently. Because I think that now more than ever, it's really easy to exist in these bubbles where we harbor judgments about what other people are like. It's so easy you know, on social media, we follow the same people who espouse similar values. All of our friends also espouse the same values. And so we don't have those opportunities to really engage with people who are different from us, who think differently. And I find tremendous value in doing that. And I also realize that um, that person is really not so different from me. They were just born into different circumstances they lived and or grew up in a different kind of environment, um, but we actually have more more that 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 is similar about us than what separates us or, or differentiates us. Lisa, with that in mind, how have you found doing this now? You said six years. Yeah. Uh, how many stories? That's got to be like fifty stories or. Uh, forty-eight. We've 48 done forty-eight stories. episodes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How how do you think you've been impacted? not just as a journalist, but even as a human being, by 48 stories, 48 sets of people that you've interacted with, 48 topics that are all part of the fabric of American identity. How, how, how if at all, have you found that you've matured, grown, changed, rethought? I have categorically become a better person a more thoughtful person, a more empathetic person, um, and I become someone – I mean, I, 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 I think I've always possessed a lot of those qualities. I like to think that I have, but um, I can also – I have sympathy for people you might think – are incorrigible mm. because I really, when I, when I, when I spend time with people out in the field, they share with me some of the most deeply personal things that they sometimes don't even share with their closest friends or family members. And I develop a bond with these people, irrespective of what they, um, you know, may have been accused of or, what 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 political position they adhere to their their ideology and it's one that i value and take very seriously and 
I would be remiss if I were to just walk away from those people and not maintain contact with them. I mean, in some cases, I share a closer bond with these people than I do with some of my own friends. I talk more deeply with these people than I do with my own uh, own friends in some cases. And to be able to have those kinds of intimate experiences with so many people has really changed me. I, I, I still fall into the trap of, as I said, following people who espouse my values, right? Um, and well, surrounding natural. myself. We run in packs. With, yeah, yeah with, with people who, who share similar values. But I also, I do understand people. And I, I, I feel for people that I otherwise may never have had a chance to meet or understand who I probably would have judged had I not gotten a chance to spend time with them. There's different types of journalism, I guess, and, and you know, there's reporting on the local labor strike, and there's reporting on on what's happening in the White House, and 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 also there's reporting on the lives and stories of of real things, real people, there's real connection. Like you said, you develop a bond with these people. So my question is, can you talk about the process of working with your producer? and the rest of your team and trying to figure out how you separate those personal feelings with the story that you need to tell and being willing to part with pieces of the story that you think are important to tell the full story, but journalistically, maybe they're, they can't be in the story. How do you, how right. do you balance that? Just because I've developed a bond with some, someone doesn't mean that I think that what they did was right hmm. or that, how they live is appropriate or mm-hmm. the things that they do are necessarily the right things to do. Um, but I am appreciative that they they shared the the depths of their soul to me. And I try really hard to report that as responsibly as I can. Um, and I don't think that it affects the integrity of the show, the bond that I have developed with this person. Because at the end of the day, you know, we are all human beings. And 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 frankly, we're all part of the same race, right? We're part of the human race. And so everyone has experienced different things that have molded them into to who they have become. And we've gotten to a, a point in our culture where we just have stopped hearing each other. We, we, we don't take the time to get to know each other. And we're also now part of this just like swipe culture, you know, where we're just we're looking at headlines and we're not taking the time to understand the context. It's a bit of a transaction, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's I'm as guilty of, of it as well. When I'm on Twitter, I look at the headline. If it's something I might want to read, I'll open it and maybe read a couple a couple, you know, paragraphs and then I'll swipe to the next thing. And and that's why I subscribe to newspapers because I I I like things that are tactile that I can read all the way through and I try hard to read an entire article all the way through. You know, it's the same thing with 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 human connections. You know, on the one hand, we are more connected than ever, right? We can find out the score of any game at the tip of our fingertips. But do we know our neighbors? <laughs> so true. Do we you know, do we feel comfortable just kind of like sitting next to someone at a bar and just talking rather than just being on our phone the whole time? Like we're just we're losing our ability 
to even be able to connect because our default is our device. And it's making for a lot of really lonely existences, despite how connected we are. Is it important to you that your audience connects with the people that you're interviewing? And and if so, how do you think about that? Well, look, I mean, I think it's really uh, exhausting for people to want to invest their time, their emotions um, into people they, they've never met before, they don't know. But my hope is that over time, people have gotten to know me. They like me enough. They trust me enough to come along with me. Mm-hmm. And when I tell them, I have a really interesting story to tell you, and I really, really want you to meet these people. You know, it's, I think it's really important that you hear these people out. My hope is that they'll listen and allow me to hold their hand through it. Yeah. Because otherwise, there's just so much noise, you know, and, and I'm hope, hoping that people allow me to help them cut through some of that. So as you look at this new season of This Is Life with Lisa Ling, how did you think about, okay, people have been with us for six years now. I got to get it right yet again. We got to make sure that we deliver. There's a lot of trust here to come back and have another strong season, strong stories, meaningful stories. What was the thought process of saying, okay, these must be the stories? How did you even start that brainstorming That process. Yeah. What's this season about? Yeah. I mean, my team and I, we spend a lot of time going through a pretty exhaustive list of topics. And there are, you know, not every single episode can be urgent, right? And that's okay. We want our audience to have a very multifaceted experience. Um, Uh, But there are some common threads throughout every episode. Like if you watch every single one of our episodes, I'm pretty convinced that you will feel something, good or bad, uh, you know, pleasurable, anger. I'm pretty sure you'll feel something. Uh, Is that by design or is that just a byproduct of the reality of the stories you're covering? It's not by design. I think it's a reality of life, which is why we call our show This Is Life, because in life, we do experience that full range of emotions, or we should experience that full range of emotions. In life, we experience those highs and those lows. And in our darkest moments, there is always light. And so we found with all of our episodes, if you come to us, We may take you to some very, very dark places, and we have, but even in those darkest moments, we will also bring you some light because, again, that is, you know, illustrative of life. Up next, you'll hear Lisa share what she saw about the American identity as she covered so much of This Is Life and America and what other stories have been inspired for the future, right after this. Entrepreneista, a woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. 
That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurstapodcast.com. One of the big themes that keeps coming through here and the things that you're sharing is the idea that we are, we have a lot in common. We have, we have similar goals and you know, those may be the goals of comfort, joy, love, um, satisfaction, so many different things. Um, I think everyone can decide themselves what's important to them, but they tend to come down to basic human needs, comfort, safety, all those things. Other than that, which is very important and seems to be a through thread for you. What did you take away from this entire journey of this season and maybe the series entirety so far that's made you feel maybe you know and understand America a little bit better? You know, I grew up in a very non-diverse community and I always felt very conflicted about my identity. Uh, I never felt totally American because I didn't look like all my friends in my community. I didn't really look like many people in my community at all. And what was your community? Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in a, in a little town called Carmichael, California, which okay. is a suburb outside of Sacramento. And even though Sacramento is very, very diverse, where I come from, not so much. I see. So I never felt totally American, nor did I feel really very Chinese because I didn't know the first thing about being Chinese because I am an American. I was born in Sacramento, California. So I, even though I was a fairly popular kid, I had a lot of friends. I did get teased a lot. Um, I don't think it was malicious. I think that the boys who derided me just kind of did so out of, out of, out of fun. They thought it was funny, but it really did hurt me because it made me feel even more different from everyone, right? I just felt like such a such an outsider, even though I had a lot of friends. And I think that that experience, feeling like kind of an outsider or didn't or, or not feeling like I belonged, has really helped me become a good vehicle for this show. You know, the vehicle through which people can experience different kinds of people or people, cultures that are different from, from theirs. And if you would have told little seven-year-old Lisa, who hated being Chinese, who, you know, really, really struggled, that, that she would one day go on to host a show about the American experience, she would have been like, what? <laughs> That's crazy. I don't feel American because I don't, I don't look like all these other Americans. And so for me, it's just – it's such an honor to be able to work on a show that gives people a window into the worlds of so many people, so many Americans who are different from, from them. I mean it's such a, an incredible opportunity to just explore the vastness, the diversity, um, 
not just ethnically, but sexually, um, in so many ways. And I've just loved it. I mean, I've really, I, 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 I pinch myself all the time that I get to do this show that allows me entree into people's most intimate aspects of their life. From this season, what or who made the biggest lasting impression on you? It's the memory that you sort of carry around when you look at the your internal avatar of the season. It's this person's face or this situation that first comes to you. God, it's that's almost too hard a a question because again, like every episode is a is a very personal emotional journey. There was a woman um, that we feature in our Marines episode, Korean American girl who had a really, really rough childhood, really, really um, dark stuff happened to her. And her parents, her dad and her stepmom, they, they, they doubted her for so much of her life. Her mom died when she was young. And when she told them she wanted to join the Marine Corps, they essentially laughed at her and said, there's no way you could become a Marine. And... sitting across from someone who was so broken was, it was so painful um, because I could, even though her experience was so different from mine, I could relate to that feeling of just being so isolated and, and just feeling so alone. But then watching her progress through the Marines and it was not easy. She doubted herself every step of the way on so many occasions. She just wanted to quit and she was she kept telling herself this sucks i can't do this and to see her finally make it through because um you know everything in her was 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 doubtful but she, like there was this one kind of like little voice in her head that was saying you can do this um i asked her who is that voice and she said that voice is me it just gets muddled a lot and to see her get through it um, was such a an incredible experience, both for her but also for me, because I just felt I felt so proud. Like I felt like she was like my kid, because again, she had shared that 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 piece of her that I know she doesn't share very often. Um, and so when I think of the season, while you know we experienced so many emotional things with so many people in the series. That woman in particular just kind of stands out because I felt like um, I felt like I was almost holding her hand through a lot of marine combat training. And it was a long, hard journey. Oh, to say it was hard to would be a gross understatement. It was brutal. It was really brutal. And the fact that she could go from that broken little girl to becoming a a marine who had just completed marine combat training was just a really powerful thing to have witnessed. Very, very good. Thank you for sharing that. Your production team, when you're out on the road, it must be a very close group because you're going through – you're not just traveling together. You're going through these arcs. It, it, it's, like a, it's like a theater group that 
practices and practices. Then they put the show on. Then it's over. Then they move on to the next show. And it's this huge buildup. And then it's kind of over. And you try to deal with that process that move on next thing. So so you go to this city or these cities, you cover this topic, and then that story is more or less done pulling the pieces together to tell it. And then it goes into post-production and so forth and for the most part, I would assume. And then it's like, okay, now we focus on this story and these people, right? So my question is, how has the team been a pod of support for each other? As you all go through this, because you're all human beings, you're all experiencing this. You know, I hear many stories of even camera operators, they're having an emotional experience and trying to focus on keeping the shot while they're crying or they're laughing or they're dealing with this. And many of these things are going to touch people where where their pasts have been. So, So can you talk about going through that journey with a group of people? that are all experiencing the same thing but through their own lenses? Everyone on my team, they're they're very talented people and they're very marketable people and they could work for any show out there. But they but they love working on our show because we explore such depths. And I don't think that I could do what I do alone. Like I couldn't be a print reporter out there solo, um, having these kinds of really intimate experiences. My team and I, we are each other's sounding board. When we are out in the field, we usually go out in the field for an episode eight to 10 days cumulatively. And during those eight to 10 days, all we do is talk about the story. All we do is talk about what we're out there doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner, <laughs> all of those moments in between. It's so intense. It's so intimate between between us. And it's so emotional sometimes. I mean, there have been numerous uh, episodes where after we experience something emotional, we'll just all sit in the van together, silent, just almost like trying to listen to each other breathe, just making sure that we are breathing because (laughs) what we've experienced is just so, you know, unbelievable. Um, And I'm, and I'm, I, I appreciate those silences because we all know each other so well that we know we need to have those silences. Um, Our brains are working rapidly, but we have the kind of relationship where, um we just we we just can anticipate um each other's reaction and we are we're support for each other um it's it's not a normal kind of show yeah it's really not i don't i don't really know of any other show like ours where we're working on such emotional um material or 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 stories um and then we have to move on to the next. You know, we have we have to sort of compartmentalize a bit. What is a precious part of a story to you from this season that, um, as the saying goes, uh, was left on the cutting room floor because of just the realities of time, the realities of storytelling that you feel should have been told, but but you, you wish it could have been told, but it. And it's precious to you that you captured that, but it 
it, it just wasn't able to be a part of what you're putting out there and, and why that might be. Does anything come to mind? We're lucky that we are documentary style. So we, we definitely have more time. But even so, I often find that we need more or they're, they're you know, the, we haven't been able to, you know, get everything out. We shoot a lot. We're constantly rolling. But surprisingly, filling 42 minutes can definitely be challenging because, you know, we are trying to produce a show that is entertaining. I mean, ultimately, that's what a TV show is supposed to do, right? It's entertainment. But at the same time, we're trying to sort of evoke thought and feeling. I just, you know, I, I sometimes wish that our interviews could run longer. You know, in our episode about porn addiction, one of the guys we interviewed who got addicted to porn when he was 12 years old, he just had so much important information that I wish that we had an outlet for because I think parents right now are really, really struggling are, are, in, are in crisis about what their kids have been exposed to and how it could affect their sex life and their relationships forever. So... I can't particularly think of one thing that got left out. I just wish that a lot of interviews could go longer. That's fair. You mentioned earlier you felt like a proud mom with that Marine mm-hmm. publicly. You're a mom. How, what do you think you've been learning through This Is Life that it's, has inspired you of things that you need to teach your children? Oh, so many things. I mean, I think – as I said earlier, I've become a better person, but I think I've become a better mom as well. And I think the most important thing that I want to try and expose my kids to is just the the diversity that exists in this country. You know, I think it's really easy for people to just remain in their bubbles um, and, 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 and rear their kids in their bubbles. And what I really love about what we do with our show is we – allow people to leave their comfort zone. And as a mother, it's made me even more emphatic than ever about the importance of taking my kids to experience things that are really different from their own lives. You know, this show is called American Enough. And it's really inspired by the idea of how American do you have to be? And I know you understand this. How American do you have to be to be American enough, quote unquote? As you reflect on This Is Life over the body of 48 stories that you've done, um, how can you connect that to how America is trying to stay American enough and what you're seeing in people? You know, you more than most Americans have an opportunity to go around and sample people Look at people from different regions, different types of industries, different types of different ethnicities, different cultures, et cetera, across our great land. What's that data telling you about where America is at this moment, at least through that lens? What it's telling me is that a lot of people are really hurting right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are feeling the need to – find community. And in some cases, they're finding community in places that are probably not so healthy. Um, again, like it's ironic that we 
have these devices that allow us to be so connected. But there are more reports than ever of people feeling lonelier than ever. You know, the rates of loneliness, reported loneliness, are just through the roof. The rates of suicide are increasing exponentially. And so much of our politics um, is, is now being driven by fear. And I, and I think that if we, if we continue on this path, the future looks really grim to me. And what, what makes this country so unique and so incredible is not only that there's so much diversity, but that we can say whatever we want. We can criticize, we can compliment, we, 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 we can feel uninhibited about talking about how we feel. But the problem is that we're just not hearing each other. And we are, we are, we are perpetuating these bubbles that we exist in, and we're closing ourselves off from so much of the rest of this country. And, and, and I think that's why we find ourselves in the place that we find ourselves, you know, really shut off and in our own worlds. And of course, there's going to be conflict as a result. If we exist in these bubbles, of course, um, you know, if your bubble doesn't agree with my bubble, then we're going to have a fight and we can't coexist. Um, I hope that we can get back to a place where we can start having mean meaningful dialogue, irrespective of, you know, where we stand politically. Because as I said earlier, you know, at the end of the day, we all want the same things. Sure. And, and I think, you know, your show is called American Enough. I think that, that when you watch our show, you will be exposed to worlds and people that you may have otherwise never taken the time to get to know. You might have already formed an opinion about them without really getting to know them. But they are, you know, they are our fellow humans. They are our fellow Americans. We all inhabit the same country. And there, there's real benefit in trying to at least get to know each other a little bit. Do you find that you have a yearning, Lisa, to go back four or five seasons and revisit some of the people that you've connected with and see where their story is now? Oh, yeah. And I keep in touch with a lot of them. Hmm. I mean, I, I just today, I, you know, called this this transgender former prostitute on her birthday. Um, I met her six years ago. No, more than that. Probably like probably 10 years ago. I get text messages from, you know, this man who, uh, when I met him, was in the throes of heroin addiction. And, and so was his entire family. And he texts me all the time to tell me that he's doing great. He bought his father's truck. Um, yeah, I mean, I I do try hard to stay in touch with me, but I certainly cannot stay in touch with everyone. But, um, you know, I've heard really great news from a lot of people, but I've also heard a lot of tragic news. You know, when we did a, a piece about heroin addiction in Chicago, two of the young people that we profiled died of overdose. One is doing really well. So... Um, again, like I have, I have relationships with these, these people and I hope to continue to maintain them. And it really does make me better for knowing these people and the things that they're struggling with. And so it makes me also discount like polls that I read about or hear about because 
you know, our media is so concentrated and focused on people's lives who live in these metropolises, who live in the cities, and ignores much of the, f- the true fabric of this country. What are the stories you're already thinking about as you look at the constellation of stories and the places in America you've covered, the types of people you've covered? What, what still must be told and you've kind of got your eye on things you'd love to be able to talk about or explore? Well, if I told you, I'd have to kill you <laughs> because um, we are, you know, we are trying to take the long view and we already have isolated certain things that we feel compelled to explore. They are very relevant. Um, they are hugely, hugely important. They affect a lot of people. I wish I could be more specific, I but um, I, I do think we need to exercise some caution in revealing too much. But I do there, – there are some things that I think are – they need to be discussed. They need to be reported on. Um, and, and, and really, action needs to be taken with regard to some of these issues. So we've got a whole palette <laughs> of stories that are on the horizon that we're working on. Um, and, you know, I talked in the beginning of this podcast about how we've sort of evolved, you know, where we we still cover subcultures, but we also are covering issues of, of, of real importance. And and some of the issues that we're taking on, we're in the midst of taking on, I think are are hugely, hugely important. And defining issues of our of our time really. You talked about as a girl, you didn't always feel completely American, even though that you were, because because of what you saw around you and the way others made you feel. So, how has the journey that you've been on with this series, the things that you've seen, the opportunities you've had to share the stories of others, how has that impacted how you feel as an American, and how, frankly, American enough you feel? I feel. I love America and I love what America represents. I fear um, a lot of the things that are happening right now. And I, I, I fear a lot of the fear that's being spewed. And it really scares me. Um, I feel embarrassed of a lot of things that are happening in this country and how we are characterizing even people in this country, right? Um, and so for me, what I do is more important than ever because I think we're all predisposed to harbor opinion, harbor judgment, um, have preconceived ideas about people. But unless we know the context, unless we really understand each other, we're going to continue to just harbor those same kinds of opinions without really knowing. And now more than ever, I feel the need for people, for media, for our, our leadership to start trying to unite and celebrate all the things that this country could be and should be and, and what, we, what we stand for as Americans. It's easy to get lost in the fight and lose sight of what it is that you are fighting for in a way. 
You got to be reminded of that. We do. And I spent time with a militia once. In fact, this was right after the presidential election when Hillary Clinton lost and Donald Trump won. And I had been invited to embed with this militia before the election, but I was about to go in after the election. And and I was really just, I wasn't shocked that Donald Trump won the election, but I was sad because I I really thought that Hillary had put in her time and and that she was a, a really qualified candidate, not perfect by any means, but she was a really smart and thoughtful leader. So I said to myself, if, the, if this militia still wants me to come in, if the invitation is still open, then I'm going to go. And, you know, the, 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 the big issue for militias is their Second Amendment rights. I am someone who loathes guns. I really do. I understand they'll never go away. I understand and respect our Second Amendment. Personally, I am just not a fan of of guns because the the purpose of guns is to kill, whether it's to kill people or to kill animals. Like I just, that's, that's, that's not who I am. My father was a member of the NRA. He was a big hunting man, although now he, he couldn't, he couldn't, you know, kill an ant. He's really, he's really changed a lot. But when I started to talk to these members of the militia about why they hold that, you know, part of the constitution so dear. And they started to talk about how afraid they are for their own safety and for their security and how how important it is for them to be able to protect their community and take responsibility for their community. I was I was better able to understand where they were coming from when we were able to sit across from each other and look each other in the eyes. Um, one of the militia members told me that, um, he had a gay son that he just adored and that, um, you know, he would do anything to protect him. And it just, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't leave that experience agreeing with them, but just being able to have a civilized conversation with them that didn't devolve into like a, a horrendous debate was was kind of nice. It was productive. And I think we got we got we, we we developed more respect for each other than we certainly had before I went in. That's fascinating. That that's such an interesting memory that you that came up for you. Um because it was such a, a, a flashpoint in a way. And it was it was really um dealing with different parts of yourself almost figuring out your own identity as the American identity was figuring out its path right. in that moment. And right. But So it was you as Lisa, you as an American at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So Lisa, how can we follow you and how can we find this incredible journey and, and take part in it by, by watching it? So our show, This Is Life, airs on CNN on Sunday nights at 10 o'clock Eastern and Pacific. Um it's also available on iTunes, and uh, I'm on social media. On Twitter, I'm at Lisa Ling. On Instagram, I'm at Lisa Linkstagram. <laughs> uh, and on Facebook, I'm facebook.com slash Ling. 
So on my Facebook page, I really do like to try and engage in in constructive and productive conversation. And and there have been many occasions where I've gotten posts or messages that say, you know, we totally disagree with your politics or you're like a stinking liberal, but we like your show and respect your show. Mm. And, you know, I appreciate that. You're reaching people. Yeah. I that shows appreciate connection. That. Yeah. yeah. That because cause these days, if you espouse something different than me, then I don't even want to like engage. Like I don't want to take my time out of, away from my life to watch someone that that harbors different views. So I appreciate when people come to us and watch our show with an open mind, even knowing that they may disagree with me politically. So Sunday nights, 10 o'clock on CNN and online, new season premieres, Sunday night, September 29th uh, at 10 o'clock. So excited. I'll be totally tuning in. Thank you very much. I can't wait. Lisa Ling, uh, incredible journalist, mom, host of This Is Life with Lisa Ling and... An American. An American. And an American. Absolutely. And a maybe, Chinese, Taiwanese American. That's right. <laughs> and maybe that's not last in that sentence. Maybe that should be first. So thank you very much for joining. It was really a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for joining. Until next time, I'm Mark Rico. American Enough is a production of Mouth Media Network. Theme music by Chris Thomas. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. To learn more about Mouth Media Network and how you can partner with this podcast, visit MouthMediaNetwork.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts, callers, and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Mouth Media Network. No portion of the show may be reproduced, published, or rebroadcast without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.